and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Thursday edition of Week 24, uh, March 30th of 2023. I'm your host, Karsten. Um, Once again, similar to, I believe it was Tuesday's episode, we're technically doing this on March 31st, very, very early in the morning. It's still that same night. Um, I would still kind of count it as Wednesday night, so we're going to run with that, and we're going to get through our uh, show for you today. Again, it's a little bit later, and then we'll have a very brief show for you uh, for tomorrow's show on Friday. But we have some uh, exciting things coming up, and we have a uh, packed show for you. We have a lot of games to talk about. There was 10 games uh, Wednesday night, so we got to go through those summaries. We've got a lot of news to talk about. And then, of course, we have our franchise focus. Since it's Thursday, we're doing our latest franchise focus, this time talking about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Firstly, the Milwaukee Bucks won on the road in Indiana against the Pacers, 149 to 136. And Drew Holiday was a big factor in that win. Um, Fairly competitive game throughout uh, the first half or so. And then the Bucks took a bigger lead in the second half to really secure the victory. For the Pacers, they actually had seven players in double-figure scoring, the leading scorer being the rookie, Benedict Matherin, 29 points, nine rebounds, uh, two steals as well. So great game for him. 22 points for Aaron Neesmith, who also had three steals and a block. They also got 18 points from from Jordan Wara, uh, 17 points off the bench from Jalen Smith, 12 each for TJ McConnell and OJ Brissett. And Andrew Nemhard had 15 points and 15 assists. So great game for a lot of these guys. But again, the Bucks uh, really took charge and especially Drew Holiday. He led uh, all scorers with an impressive 51 points. Um, I would imagine that's, if not a career high, probably one of his top five scoring games. So phenomenal game from Drew Holiday, not just the scoring, but he also had eight rebounds, eight assists a steal and a block. He had six turnovers, but his shooting percentages were stellar. And again, 51 points. Phenomenal. Giannis just as, you know, just as impressive alongside him, 38 points, 17 rebounds and 12 assists. Um, Both those guys, phenomenal games. Brooke Lopez had 21 points, eight rebounds and three blocks. And Bobby Portis had 12 points and eight rebounds off the bench. So those four guys, you know, when you have, Two guys combining for just about 90 points. Um, that's going to be tough for any team to overcome. So, you know, kudos to them. But again, nice game from a lot of those Pacers players. Uh, but the Bucks able to come out on top in that first game from Wednesday's action. Next, the Brooklyn Nets win at home against the visiting Houston Rockets, 123 to 114, um, as Cameron Johnson is a big factor. And this is actually a pretty close game and very back and forth. No team led by... Um, as many as 10 points. The biggest lead for either team was nine, and there were 25 lead changes throughout. Um, Yeah, very uh, exciting game, to say the least. But again, the home team, the Brooklyn Nets, able to come out on top, so kudos to them. For the Rockets, they had six players in double figures, uh, being led by Kevin Porter Jr., the de facto point guard, his 31 points, nine rebounds, and six assists, along with three steals. Very good game for him. Uh, they also had a great game from Alperen Shingun, 21 points, 12 rebounds, a steal, and a block. Jabari Smith Jr., the rookie, with 12 and 12, uh, 12 points, 12 boards, 15 points for Kenyon Martin Jr., and 14 points for Josh Christopher, coming off the bench, getting a little bit more of an opportunity. 
Meanwhile, for the Nets, Cameron Johnson, he had 31 points of his own uh, with seven rebounds and five assists, one steal and one block, too. Um, Mikhail Bridges, 27 points, six rebounds, six assists. Spencer Dinwiddie, 20 points, 11 assists for a nice double-double. And Nick Claxton, 18 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks, and a steal for his own double-double. The Nets, a little bit more well-rounded game. Um, Again, kudos to them. Nice home victory uh, against the Rockets. So nice job for Brooklyn. Next, uh, again, renewal of the uh, classic late 90s, early 2000s rivalry. Uh, the New York Knicks winning at home against the visiting Miami Heat, one hundred one to ninety two, um, and in doing so, the Miami Heat have fallen into the play in picture in the East versus being up in that you know secure playoff position. Um, very back and forth game, especially second through fourth quarters. Uh, there was twenty four lead changes on the game, most of those in that span, you know, mid second quarter to early fourth quarter. Um, so very close game, um, but then New York taking a big lead in the second part of the fourth quarter, and they're able to come out on top with the victory. For Miami, they were led by Gabe Vincent with 21 points, three rebounds, three assists, and two steals. They got 16 points from Tyler Hero, 12 points each for Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robinson, and Bam Adebayo had 11 rebounds and four assists in this game. So um yeah, not a wealth of offense for Miami and New York, just a little bit uh, more in tune, I suppose. But this game had some shades of that 90s style where it was not a high scoring game. Um, offense a little bit harder to come by. Uh, but Emmanuel quickly actually led uh, all scorers with 24 points coming off the bench for the Knicks. Close behind him, Quentin Grimes with 23 points, uh, eight rebounds as well. Uh, 12 points each for Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett and Josh Hart with 13 points coming off the bench. So good win for them. They did lose Julius Randle early in this game uh, due to injury. We'll have a little bit more on that in just a moment. Uh, Certainly some unfortunate news for New York, especially going into the uh, playoff situation within the next couple of weeks. So again, we'll have a little bit more on that in just a moment. Next, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers won at home against the Dallas Mavericks, 116-108. to Uh, Pretty close game, you know, Definitely a t- another tough loss for Dallas as they're trying to figure out this um, playoff play-in equation. They're currently sitting outside of the play-in picture. Um, and Dallas led for much of this game, although Philadelphia all had kept it close throughout, and they took a big lead in that. Well, they, they took a lead and, and solidified a lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, so kudos to Philadelphia for keeping in the game throughout. Uh, for the Mavericks, they had three double-figure scores, all three of them with 20 or more points. Uh, the leading scorer being Luka Doncic, 24 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists. Kyrie Irving had 23 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists, uh, along with 2 steals. And Tim Hardaway Jr. with 21 points of his own. <clears throat> but again, outside of those three, uh, no one in double figures. Meanwhile, for Philadelphia, uh, 6 players in double figures, 2 of those being 20 or more points, those being Joel Embiid with 25 points, nine rebounds, three assists, along with a steal and a block. Tyrese Maxey with 22 points, four rebounds, four assists, and two steals. James Harden also added 15 points, 12 assists, and three steals. Uh, 17 points from DeAnthony Melton off the bench. 14 for George Niang. He also had two blocks and a steal. And Tobias Harris had 13 points. So Philadelphia 
little more well-balanced and again, a tough loss for Dallas as they continue to struggle as of late next, a great win for the Lakers. Uh, their last game out, they had lost to the Chicago bulls in Los Angeles. Uh, so they had lost a home game to the bulls uh, in this game. Wednesday night, they went into Chicago and were able to, you know, get a road win um, back a little bit of vengeance there. The Lakers win in Chicago, 121 to 110. Uh, and Anthony Davis in particular really takes charge in this game. And it was kind of fun seeing the, you know, the back and forth Patrick Beverly and LeBron James, of course, Patrick Beverly had made some, you know, rounds as far as he did the quote unquote, too small gesture to LeBron after making a tough shot in the win that Chicago had on Sunday. Of course, Patrick Beverly playing for the Chicago Bulls Um, in this game. um, LeBron went at Patrick Beverly. They were talking a little bit. They're both, you know, making gestures at each other. Patrick Beverly was, you know, trying to say that he was locking down LeBron's, uh, you know, LeBron tried to make a pass inside and Beverly tips it. He gives him the Matumbo finger wave. LeBron had done something prior to that. And then towards the end of the game, the Lakers are in charge at this point. Austin Reeves, of all people, actually hits a tough floating type shot over Patrick Beverly. And he does the too small gesture uh, to pay him back. And um, kind of a fun moment for the Lakers, I'm sure, you know, disappointing for the Bulls to lose, of course. But, um, you know, it kind of made sense. You would think after that um I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, uh, that last game between these two teams that there was probably going to be with them having, you know, going to be playing again so soon. There was going to be a continuation of that Patrick Beverly situation. And so that's what we got. It was a show. And again, the Lakers get a nice win. And Chicago was still competitive. I mean, L.A. took a big lead early first quarter. Chicago brought it right back, took a lead in the second Lakers took back about that same kind of a lead in the third quarter. And at that point, the Lakers had, you know, pretty solid control of the game. They never really looked at looked back at that point uh, for those Chicago Bulls. They had five double figure scores. The leading score being Nikola Vucevic, 29 points and 12 rebounds, along with six assists. Uh, DeMar DeRozan added 22 points. Zach Levine had 16 points. Uh, DeRozan also had two steals and two blocks. So you got that defensive uh you know, those defensive numbers in Levine had three steals himself off the bench. They had uh, Kobe white had 17 points and nine assists and AU Desomlu had 12 points as well. So um, the bulls had 10 steals total and four blocks. So they were certainly active defensively. However, the, the Lakers, again, just a little bit more um, in control in this particular game. And it was Anthony Davis and LeBron James getting it done. Anthony Davis, 38 points, nine rebounds, four assists, along with two steals and two blocks. A great all-around game for the Chicago native. Um, LeBron, 25 points, eight rebounds, four assists, and two steals. So he had a great complimentary game. Austin Reeves had 19 points, five assists. And D'Angelo Russell, 17 points, four rebounds, four assists. So uh, their four, four of their five starters accounting for their double-figure scores. Um, and those scores were a little more potent than Chicago's scores. Um, so the Lakers able to come out on top again, you know, fairly competitive game, a big win for the Lakers, nice little, you know, morale boost. And they feel like they got, 
you know, they're just due after the Patrick Beverly thing um, in the last time out. So nice win for the Lakers. Next, the Chicago Bulls, sorry, not the Chicago Bulls, uh, the LA Clippers. Uh, LA Clippers go on the road in Memphis uh, against the Grizzlies and they win 141 to 132 thanks to a fantastic game from Russell Westbrook, maybe his best game of the season up to this point. Um, Back and forth game uh, for much of this, you know, both teams held substantial leads, but there was also plenty of lead changes, 14 lead changes throughout. Um, but the Clippers able to uh, solidify a lead late and come out with a victory in the end. For the Grizzlies, they were led by, of all people, John Morant. You'd expect that. 36 points, 9 assists, 3 steals. Uh, percentages were a bit off, but still a great game for him. 30 points for Dylan Brooks, too. Uh, 6 rebounds, 4 assists as well. 17 points for Santi Aldama. 16 for Xavier Tillman. And 12 points for Luke Kennard. Uh, one of those, uh, he also had two assists. One of those being a great lob assist to John Morant. Um, it was a pretty spectacular play. Uh, so all five of their starters accounting for all of their double-figure scores. Meanwhile, for the Clippers, um, just a touch more spread out scoring. And that was maybe a factor as far as them being able to come out on top in this game. Um, their leading scorer was... You know, we mentioned Russell Westbrook had a great game, 36 points, 10 assists and four rebounds, as well as two blocks. So showing that athleticism, that defensive touch when he's, you know, when he's locked in and his percentages were stellar, too. I mean, he was 72 from percent from the floor. He made all five of his three point attempts, struggled a bit from the line, but still a great all right all round game from Russell Westbrook. Off the bench, Robert Covington actually had maybe his best game of the season too, 27 points four rebounds, two assists, but also three steals. And he made all seven of his three-point attempts. So some red-hot three-point shooting. The Clippers shot nearly 60% from three as a team. Uh, really catapulted them to uh, a victory in this particular game. They also got 20 points, six assists, five rebounds from the newly acquired Bones Highland. Of course, he was a trade deadline acquisition. 13 points for Norman Powell off the bench. 14 for Eric Gordon. 11 for Terrence Mann and 10 for Ivica Zubats. And again, a great win for the Clippers as they continue to, as many Western Conference teams do, make that push to solidify their place uh, come play in and playoff time. Next, the Oklahoma City Thunder get another great win at home against the Detroit Pistons. 107 to 106, very close game, and it was won thanks to a Jalen Williams putback, and that's L-E-N Williams, uh, the more wing scoring to uh, Jalen Williams versus the other Jalen Williams, more of a uh, power forward inside presence. They're starting him at center a lot lately. Um, And this was another back and forth game. Uh, No team had a particularly large lead. And again, it was up for grabs right there at the end. And the, the thunder get a a great break. Jalen Williams makes a great play and they're able to come out on top with the victory for the Pistons, the visiting team. They had uh, seven players with 10 or more points. The leading scorer beating, being the rookie, Jaden Ivey, 24 points with also nine assists. Uh, they also got 14 points each from both James Wiseman and Eugene Omorui. Uh, Wiseman also had 11 rebounds on the night. They got 13 from Corey Joseph, 12 from RJ Hampton, 11 from Killian Hayes, and 10 from Jalen Duran. Again, those are their seven double-figure scores. Meanwhile, for the Thunder, they had five in their own right, uh, 10 or more points, but some of those were just a little bit more 
uh, you know, potent scoring again, Jalen Williams, the same one with the heroic put back had their best scoring game, 27 points, eight rebounds, six assists, great all round game, 20 points from Lugens Dort, uh, 18 from Josh Giddy, 19 off the bench from Trey, uh, excuse me, Aaron Wiggins and 12 points for Isaiah Joe. Um, so, you know, nice all round game for the thunder, a great win for them again, as they, you know, we talked about it with the the Lakers, of course, they're making that push to solidify their position in the Western Conference. Um, and so uh, a nice win for them. Next, here's one I can be excited about. The Utah Jazz win in San Antonio against the Spurs, 128 to 117. And Taylor Horton Tucker has another great game. You know, he's had some struggles at moments uh, in this increased role with the Jazz, but more often lately, he's had some really standout games, and it kind of you know pr- creates a new level of intrigue for the Jazz going forward as far as their roster and their uh, their potential. Um, fairly close game though through the first half and even the third quarter. Jazz though able to go on a run early fourth quarter and secure the victory uh, with that run. For the Spurs, they had six players in double figures, including a trio of players with seventeen points. Each. Those were Trey Jones, Sandrew Mamukalashvili, and Devontae Graham. Uh, their leading scorer, though, was Malachi Branham, the rookie, 21 points for him. They also got 15 from Keta Bates Diop and 12 from Zach Collins. Zach Collins also putting in work defensively, three steals and two blocks to go with his eight rebounds, five assists, and his 12 points as well. So great all round game. Um, you know, Trey Jones also had six assists and three steals, so he got some defensive work in himself. Uh, Mamou Kalashvili, eight rebounds. So, you know, Spurs, not not a bad effort, but the Jazz, again, Taylor Horton Tucker, a career night, uh, able to set them apart from the Spurs. He had 41 points, five assists, four rebounds, and uh, he was six of 11 from three, which is really encouraging. Someone who's struggled at times from three-point range this season, not really known as a three-point shooter. Huge game for him. Uh, you know, again, I personally am a Jazz fan, so I'm excited to see that. I got 17 points off the bench from Chris Dunn, 12 points from Yudoka Azubuke, 10 points from Johnny Juzang, the two-way player, um, nine points, nine rebounds in Luka Semanik's debut. Um, again, I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that last name, right? I might be pronouncing it wrong. Um, 10 points for Ochag Baji as well. And Walker Kessler, nine points, 10 rebounds and two blocks. So still a nice game for the rookie, uh, there. And the, again, a great win for the jazz against the Spurs jazz still in a tough spot as far as trying to make that play in type spot. But, you know, at this point, their season is more focused on the potential for next year and the years to come, and that's a great thing to see from a still fairly young player like Taylor Horton Tucker. Two more games from Wednesday night to uh, get through here. Firstly, the uh, Phoenix Suns winning at home in the return of Kevin Durant, his home debut for the Suns as well, uh, against the visiting Minnesota Timberwolves, 107-100. to 100, uh, The Phoenix Suns able to win this game. Um Back and forth game throughout uh, Timberwolves at one point had the biggest lead of the game uh, by 10 points, a 10 point lead early in the third quarter. Suns took the lead back, but there were 18 lead changes total. Again, it was a very competitive game. However, the Timberwolves did not lead in the fourth quarter and the Suns were able to uh, solidify a victory late despite some struggles from Durant in his return. 
for the Timberwolves, they had only three players in double figures scoring. Anthony Edwards had 31 points. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, 25 points and 15 points from Nas Reed coming off the bench. Um, however, Gobert had 15 rebounds, two assists, two steals. Um, and Kyle Anderson had 10 rebounds of his own. So, um, you know, Timberwolves had the makings of being able to kind of make this game work and Phoenix had their fair share of struggles. But again, Phoenix, just a little bit more scoring on their end. Devin Booker leading them 29 points, five assists and four steals. Uh, Again, that two way play has been nice for them, especially in that game. Um, Chris Paul, 19 points, six assists and two steals. Kevin Durant, only 16 points in this game. He was uh, below 30% from the floor on the game, so maybe a bit of rust uh, as he's making his return. 10 points each for DeAndre Ayton and Josh Okogie, and 11 points off the bench for Cameron Payne. Um, but again, Phoenix able to come out on top. That's the important thing for them as they're, again, in that Western Conference playoff mix, just looking to solidify their positioning. Finally, and this gets us to the biggest news from uh, Wednesday's you know, Wednesday going into Thursday, that kind of action. The Sacramento Kings win in Portland against the Trailblazers, 120 to 80. So a 40 point victory. They win in a big way, and that helps secure officially their first playoff appearance. They will be in the playoffs this season. They've clinched playoffs for the first time since 2006. So nearly 20 years, 20 seasons. It's uh, 17 seasons. And um, I'm not a Sacramento fan in particular i enjoy seeing them succeed but of course my team are the jazz but um by proxy you know seeing what they've done this season i've you know been a fan of this team this season the beam team and seeing what they're able to do super excited for that fan base for that team those players it's a huge step for this franchise you know a franchise that at times has really struggled has had some you know really dark days and for them to get back in the playoffs and have a bright future along with that, it's not just a one-off, you know, let's make the playoffs once to appease fans. It's they're building something that can be sustainable and it's awesome to see for the Kings. So again, congratulations to them. This game, again, it was clear they wanted to, you know, get that done. They wanted to finally get the monkey off their the proverbial monkey off their back. They wanted to, you know, clinch playoffs and they did it in a big way, especially in the fourth quarter. They, nearly they I actually they more than doubled their lead in the fourth quarter to really ensure that hey we're we want to win this game we want to get this done for the trailblazers uh they still had a well they had a great game from Shaden Sharp uh Damian Lillard uh Anthony Simons um Yusuf Nurkic Jeremy Grant none of their four top four or five players played in this game uh Shaden Sharp 30 points seven rebounds seven assists 12 points each for Kevin Knox and Jabari Walker. Walker coming off the bench. 10 points for Nazir Little. Kevin Knox also had 12 rebounds alongside Drew Eubanks. 11 rebounds. Um, so not a terrible game for the Trailblazers, especially considering the circumstances. Um, they only played seven players in total in the game. Meanwhile, for the Kings, they had their full roster. They had everybody playing. They played, you know, it looks like they played about uh, 13 or 14 deep, if not more. And they had five players in double figures, the leading scorer being uh, Malik Monk off the bench, their sixth man. He had 19 points, six rebounds, six assists, 18 points from De'Aaron Fox, uh, along with six assists and two steals, 
17 points for Kevin Herter, 15 points, 12 rebounds for Damanis Sabonis, and 13 points, uh, including three three-pointers from Keegan Murray. So again, great game for the Kings. Congratulations to them. That takes care of our game summaries, but I'm going to use this game as a springboard to jump into our key news because, again, that's really my first item as we're talking about the, the playoff picture and our updates there. That's the big update that with that game, Sacramento officially clinched a playoff spot, so that's exciting. Uh, one of only three teams in the West so far to clinch a playoff spot, the other two being the Nuggets and the Grizzlies. So, again, congratulations to Sacramento, and also congratulations. This is our next key news item. Congratulations to Keegan Murray. We mentioned he had three three-pointers in that game. Uh, in doing so, he, uh, in the process of that game, he set a new rookie record, and that's not just Sacramento rookie record. That's NBA rookie record for three-pointers in a season, and that breaks Donovan Mitchell's record that he set in the 2018 season, his rookie campaign. Um so a ton of great stuff for Sacramento. Just another thing to add to the list. Uh, another reason to be excited about the future of that team. So again, congratulations to Keegan Murray in particular. Congratulations to the Kings as a whole. Um, we, of course, talked about Phoenix. You know, Kevin Durant did, in fact, make his return last night in that game versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, another update as far as injuries are concerned. Uh, some tough news for the New York Knicks. Um, we mentioned briefly that he exited that game, um, their game against the Miami Heat in New York, uh, exited early, played only 14 minutes in that game. Uh, the reports are that Randall has sprained his left ankle in that win they had versus Miami. He is at this point going to be reevaluated in two weeks, and that's that's cutting it really close. You know, we're right on the verge of playoffs. Um, of course, Knicks should be locked into playoffs specifically, not really in the play-in picture. So two weeks is on this day, you know, at this time is right about at the start of the playoffs fully. Um, I would think with this team, there's maybe a good chance that if there's still some issues with that ankle that they're going to, you know, brace it up and, Julius Randle's going to do what he can to play through it. If that's the case, you know, hopefully best case scenario, that ankle is, you know, well rested, well recovered, and he's good to go in just two weeks. Um, so, but again, we'll, in two weeks, we'll have a, a more clear outlook as far as what that will look like for him going forward. And we certainly wish him the best uh, in that recovery. Similarly, we want to send our best to uh, Chicago's Andre Drummond. Um, he, I think it's been a mutual decision between him. He's dealing with some personal things uh, along with the Chicago Bulls organization. Uh, he's going to be sitting out, um, you know, their next, I believe, you know, their next game, maybe the, ne the next few games. Uh, he's going to be dealing with, or he is dealing with some uh, mental health related issues. Again, you know, I'm fully personal. Uh, he has not provided specifics nor do we expect or need him to provide specifics um you know as someone who's who's dealt with some of those things myself um you know it props to him for recognizing that he needed to take some time to work on those things and uh we certainly wish him the best as he takes his time to do that um next for the uh golden state warriors stephen curry he has signed a new long-term agreement with under armor that will extend well through the rest of his playing career and into his uh, retirement. So cool to see, you know, he's trying to do the 
the Michael Jordan thing of having a signature brand within another brand. There's the Curry brand that's a part of the Under Armour, uh, you know, sphere of of uh, of influence. So it' cool to see, you know, and it's been a successful brand. It's been nice to see another name um, with Steph Curry at the helm, kind of join in the the basketball world along with you know the Nikes, the Adidas's, um, the Pumas now. So. Uh, yeah, cool update there out of Golden State. Uh, we have some NBA-specific news as well. Um, firstly, Commissioner Adam Silver, uh, you know, talked a little bit more at length about the CBA uh, negotiations. Of course, the league and the Players Association uh, working to solidify a uh, new CBA arrangement, a collective bargaining agreement. Um, and Adam Silver's hopeful for that agreement to be worked out before the Friday deadline, which of course is tomorrow or technically today when we're recording this podcast. Um, I saw, I believe on ESPN, there was a more specific quote from those recent uh, quotes from Adam Silver about he, you know, understands how important it is for this to get done. And, you know, quite honestly, this is one of the more important things we've reported in the past that they've pushed back that deadline a couple of times. Um, as they've continued to have productive discussions and making sure that they're going to get this right. If for whatever reason, they're not able to come to an agreement by the deadline and, you know, there's some sort of next step and, and that next step is not a new CBA. There's potential that the league could opt out of, uh, you know, current CBA or extension. I forget the specifics, but you know, there's risk you know, even if it's small, there's risk that we could be heading for um, another lockout type situation. And again, we haven't heard anything nearing that type of news of that being probable. There's just that outside chance where if you aren't able to figure out, you know, that long-term situation, figure out a new CBA that can lead to further discussions that need more focus, more time, and that can kind of lead to lockouts and things of that nature. So again, um, that's not really on the horizon, but it's a small outside chance. It's something to just be aware of as we continue to get updates on the CBA. You know, hopefully we get uh, an agreement soon. So certainly important. Next, uh, a little more positive news for the NBA. They've officially announced the 12 finalists for the Twyman Stokes teammate of the year. Um, of course, for those who aren't aware, the Twyman Stokes Award is named after Jack Twyman and Maurice Stokes, who were teammates on the Cincinnati Royals. Um, that story, I'll just real quick um, urge you to look into that story because it's really a phenomenal story of, of uh, you know, true friendship, if we want to be a little, little bit cliche with our phrases. But, you know, it's a really touching story and uh, selflessness is another part of that story. So I, you know, certainly if, if you're talking about awards and the source of their name, that's maybe one of the most apt names for an award. Um, maybe just NBA, but even in sports, you know, it's a great award, but anyways, um, they've announced the 12 finalists. Here are those 12 finalists. Um, they are all from differing teams, they are Mikhail Bridges of the Brooklyn Nets, Darius Garland of the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Udonis Haslam of the Miami Heat, Drew Holiday of the, Mo the Milwaukee Bucks, 
Derek Rose of the New York Knicks, Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics, Harrison Barnes of the Sacramento Kings, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, Aaron Gordon of the Denver Nuggets, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies, Damian Lee of the Phoenix Suns, and Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. So congratulations to all of them for being announced as finalists. All of those, of course, having simply been named finalists, are great teammates in their own right. Drew Holiday, seemingly a perennial um, candidate. He's won the award uh, twice now. He won it last season, uh, so he's a name to watch out for. Haslam would be a name, too. You know, he's a longtime member of the Heat in the last several seasons. He's been, you know, on the Heat almost solely for his locker room presence, his leadership, his experience in the league with a winning culture, the Heat culture that they like to talk about. Um, So those are a couple names. But again, all those guys certainly well-deserving of being named finalists. Uh, finally, we have some uh, transactions to make note of. Firstly, the Indiana Pacers have waived guard Trevlin Queen and in turn signed guard Gabe York. So they're exchanging those guys, both of them two-way contracts, uh, Queen going out, York coming in. The Charlotte Hornets have signed guard Kobe Simmons. He's also on a two-way contract. The Portland Trailblazers are reportedly signing guards uh, Shaquille Harrison and Skylar Mays to 10-day contracts. Mays has been you know, officially uh confirmed by the NBA. Harrison is right now just a report from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Um, those right now would be the uh, 16th and 17th players in their roster, not counting two-way players. So uh, Portland just may be giving some, some options to themselves, considering maybe, you know, making some small roster moves at the end of their bench uh, towards the end of the season here. So signing a couple guards again, Shaquille Harrison, Skylar Mays, uh, and, that's you know something i guess to keep an eye on 10 day contracts so they're getting a little bit of an opportunity um but that it takes care of our news again a lot of items here and i'll reemphasize the importance of that cba news in particular something to really keep an eye out for an ear out for and you know the importance of that is uh tough to overstate in in some ways but again we're not going to be all doom and gloom about it it's just you know something to be aware of but for now let's go ahead and shift into uh the meat of today's show and that is our franchise focus again we're talking about the phoenix suns this time around uh first let me go ahead and take a drink to replenish my vocal abilities if you will okay so what we do with our franchise focus if you're new to this uh, particular segment of the show or the show in general basically we take uh a specific episode and focus on each franchise in the NBA. We've been doing it alphabetically by um, mascot or team moniker, if you will. So we started with the 76ers, went to the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls and so on. Uh, so we're at this point, we're talking about the Phoenix Suns and we like to give this time to focus on a franchise a little more in depth because you know, in the course of any given NBA season, you have your title contenders, you have your best players on a select, you know, subset of teams. You have teams that are really struggling, maybe teams that are failing to meet expectations. And there's storylines that are talked about with all of those teams in those kind of subsets, but you have plenty of teams in the course of a NBA season that don't get a lot of time to you know talk about them specifically 
this season, for example, I can think of the Atlanta Hawks, you know, outside of our franchise focus, we haven't really talked about the Hawks a lot, but because we have our franchise focus on the Hawks specifically, we have the chance to talk about the current team and the history of that team. And we do it through these three parts. We first talk about, again, current team. That's the main emphasis of the first part is what does that team look like right now? What has been the process these last few seasons? What's the outlook going forward? What does their roster look like? If you're a fan, do you feel like you have, you're hopeful for the future of that team? Do you have some question marks or there's some concerns, things like that. Um, So that's the first part, the franchise's direction, if you will. Then we uh, talk about a historic team from that franchise's history. Um, For this is a little bit, you know, we have some liberty to kind of pick a team Usually I've been picking teams that are less talked about teams. You know, with the Suns, it's easy to point to the Mike D'Antoni Phoenix Suns, you know, in the mid 2000s, um, or to talk about the early 90s Suns, whether it's before they got Charles Barkley, when they had Charles Barkley, you know, late 80s, early 90s, when they were consistently a Western Conference uh, contending team. Um, I've decided to talk about a different team, though, that's still really important and one of the best teams in their franchise history. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, so we talk about a team from their history that's notable, the players on the team, the team's history, what they're able to accomplish. And then the third segment, we talk about a notable and or his um, legendary player from that franchise's history. So it could be someone who's Hall of Fame caliber, who's a Hall of Famer, multiple time all-star, you know, champion, MVP, some of those types of things. Or it could be someone who was, you know, like an all rookie team member and that's it. And they were just a consistently solid player, but they were important to their franchise in one way or another. Right. Um, So that's our three segments. Um, And we'll go ahead and get started. We'll start with, again, the current Phoenix Suns direction and uh, their current direction, especially after the trade deadline, is uh, winning a championship. That's the goal. That's their aspiration that's the the emphasis of the team and their record is not as strong as it has been over the past two seasons there's been some ups and downs there's been injuries there's been concerns with certain players but again they made the biggest move of the trade deadline and maybe the biggest move of the last calendar year in trading uh two actually multiple pieces one of them being Jay Crowder, who had kind of already fallen out of favor with the organization for whatever reason. So um, that was a sweetener in the deal, and it wasn't a huge loss for Phoenix um, because for some reason he did not fit their long-term outlook. But they gave up Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, um, you know, two guys that were big pieces for, you would think, their future, younger talents, wings, versatile forwards who had a lot of upside and they are going to be a big part of Brooklyn's future. We've talked about that with the nets, but the Suns, of course have a chance to get Kevin Durant and they get Kevin Durant and Durant is still pretty much in his prime. He's played at an MVP level when he's been healthy this season. They have him alongside Devin Booker and Chris Paul Booker in pretty much his prime at this point, the beginning of his prime Um, versatile score, good size, can get some boards, can grab, you know, dish out some assists, can be solid defensively as well when he needs to be. And so Booker and Durant are the two guys, and that's going to be the anchor for the next several seasons for the Suns uh, on this, they hope, 
finals type trajectory. Um, with this current Suns team, though, I would maybe have some small concerns about Chris Paul. And it's not about his play style. I think that some of those concerns are overblown. You know, yes, he's had some playoff fallings in the past, but he helped lead this team. I mean, Booker was great, but this was a team that was still growing. And him and Monty Williams coach player tandem, they were able to lead this team to the finals and have a fairly competitive series against the Milwaukee Bucks and the best player um, in the league at that time, maybe even still currently Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, you know, Chris Paul's mindset, his play style, his, you know, basketball acumen, his basketball IQ, none of those things are the issue. The issue is just with the natural getting older and, you know, regression in play that comes with having been in the league as long as he has been. This is his 18th season in the NBA. He's 37 years old. And outside of LeBron James this season, the, you know, age impact on player performance has always got to be factored in. This season, he has still been productive. I mean, about 14 points a game, nine assists, a steal and a half. His percentages are all right. And so he can still be that leader. But I wonder about his effectiveness next season or the following season as he gets even older. He's got more mileage on, you know, he had a a substantial college career and he's played a ton of NBA minutes and he's had a lot of deep, you know, solid playoff runs even if they haven't always been conference finals or finals, he's been consistently a playoff player, you know, Clippers rockets, um, all of that. So that would be my concern there. But as far as the Booker Durant tandem, you know, that's going to be dynamite high scoring guys, but they also work well with, within a team structure, you know, they're solid defensively more solid than you might want to give them credit for Deandre Ayton is another question as far as, you know, he had, uh, that was just an interesting off season saga. Anyways, he was not given really an offer from the team for extension. The Suns seemed to wait until another team offered him a contract since he was a restricted free agent and the Suns immediately matched it. And it was almost in their, it was almost their way of, paying the quote-unquote minimum for DeAndre Ayton. And in some ways, it's understandable for the Suns in the sense that Ayton has proven that he's very, very solid. For a number one overall pick, he's maybe been a, a touch underwhelming. But, you know, 30 minutes a game, he's given you 18 points, 10 rebounds per game this season. The defense isn't as great as maybe some other centers, but he's stout inside. He always has a handful of games every year where he's dominant inside. And, you know, again, they made the the finals with him. He's a guy that can be part of long-term playoff type success. And so it's a weird spot, you know, and I I wonder about his feelings around the Suns organization as a whole. That's another question mark for them going forward. But when you have Booker and Durant, you still have some pieces to work with. 
You have a good coach in place. You have good team history. And Phoenix has done better than other teams of comparable market size as far as free agency, pull, trade maneuvers. You know, if you think about when they've been in contention, you know, when the Phoenix Suns are good, that's a team that people are interested in, interested in going to. You know, it's a it's a great climate. It's a great place to be at if you're a player. You know, you're thinking about off the court, what's life going to be like in Phoenix? You know, it's a favorable favorable place to be at. Uh, so, so that makes sense. You know, but there's just some concerns for a couple of guys there, and I hate to lead off the discussion with those right away because again. You know, this they've built something great here. You think about going back five years ago, the 2019 season, the Suns were maybe the worst team in the NBA that season. They were 19 and 63. They had, you know, they played a myriad of players that season. They had Tyler Johnson come in for a little while. They still had TJ Warren in his first stint there. He's actually back on the Suns this season. Rookie season of Mikhail Bridges. Kelly Oubre was in that mix. Um, Trevor Ariza, Josh Jackson, you know, he was drafted by the Suns and he was still in that stint there. You know, Jamal Crawford in his last season, Ellie Okobo, Dragon Bender. It was just, you know, all of these different players. They were trying to figure out what the mix was. The new Booker was going to be great. They had Booker locked in. And of course they had DeAndre Ayton. Um, but outside of those, they didn't have a clear picture around them. And the coaching staff wasn't quite right at that time for that team. It was, you know, they're trying to right the ship. And ever since they brought in Monty Williams, they've had that, you know, more of a clear direction. They've found a winning culture for themselves. And again, the last two seasons in particular have kind of fast tracked them towards, okay, now they're a championship contender. And especially with the Duran acquisition. So we kind of have to be, you know, a little more critical as far as, you know, they've shown very quickly that they can be successful. They've gone to the finals now, excuse me. Now it's all about, you know, long-term sustaining that so they can keep that window open. Um, Cause whether or not they can do it this season is a bit shaky. They're not a clear favorite this season. You know, they're, they're in that mix, but they're not a clear favorite. And you want to keep that window open as long as you can. Durant and Booker, you can have that for a few more seasons. But Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, you know, Paul's age, Ayton's um, feeling of being appreciated and being content where he's at, those are the question marks. And there's maybe also some question marks as far as the pieces around that. You know, having given up the players that they did for the Durant trade, their depth is not bad, but it's not as good as it was during the finals run. You know, they had great depth for that team. And, you know, starting alongside uh, Durant, Booker, Paul, and Aiton, you have maybe um, Josh Okoge or Torrey Craig. Those two are, you know, kind of versatile, athletic, defensive-minded uh, wings. Craig, a little bit bigger he's more a small forward power forward okogi more kind of a shooting guard maybe a small forward um either of those guys work and i think that those are good complementary pieces to the other four guys the star guys you know having defensive minded players like that i think that fits having shamit off the bench i think is uh 
is good, you know, great three point shooter. I think that fits that concept. Cameron Payne, his career resurgence has been great as a backup point guard. Terrence Ross, I think has been a nice addition. My questions would be around their center depth. You know, Biombo is all right. Um, but then outside of that, you know, Jock Landell, well, he's been all right. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking myself a little bit more into this. You know, their depth actually is is pretty good too. Um, but again, it's all about Paul and Aiton, the questions around them. What does the future look like? Again, outlook is great. You're a contending team. You're looking to win championships within the next few years. And so that's the goal. That's why we're jumping in a little more critical. But if you're a Suns fan, I mean, obviously you're you're stoked to add Durant alongside Booker and Paul and Aiton. You know, it's is dynamite and it's exciting going to be exciting to watch. It's great for the fans. And again, it should be conducive to a very competitive type of team. So that's the current Suns and their direction. As far as our historic team, again, I already talked through the teams that I decided not to focus on. We're not talking the mid 2000 Suns or the late 80s, early 90s, or even the early 80s when they were still competitive then, too. We're talking about 1976 Phoenix Suns when, in fact, they had a okay regular season record. They were 42 and 40, third in their division. You know, they didn't um, blow the world away with their record, but. They just so happened to uh, make a playoff run and have a six-game series in the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics. And, you know, this team just gets forgotten. And I get to an extent that a lot of those teams pre-Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, 80s era, a lot of those teams get forgotten. But this was a Cinderella type of team that, had a chance to beat the Boston Celtics in final series. And this is a stacked Celtics team. I mean, their starting lineup, they had four all-star type players, Jojo White, Charlie Scott, Dave Cowens, John Havlicek, along with Paul Silas, an incredible rebounder. You know, the depth wasn't out of this world, but their lineup was impressive, you know, and they had, they were the Celtics still. They had that mystique. They had, you know, Tom Heinsohn, who was around for the Russell days as a player. He was continuing that tradition. Red Auerbach was still at the the helm as a, a GM and executive. And so this was an exciting series. And um, John McLeod, who later would help lead the uh, the Dallas Mavericks to, you know, conference uh, championship contention, he was, you know, kept kept the Suns in continual playoff contention themselves in the West. Um, you know, they've got a great head coach. They've got, um, you know, a Cinderella team, but they also had a great roster alongside that. They firstly had Paul Westfall, who's a Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA. He was a combo guard. You know, he could be powerful, uh, excuse me, could be a point guard, could be a shooting guard. Um, yeah, he had a, a fantastic um hmm, this is interesting. I'm pulling up Westfall to try and see his stats, and for some reason those stats are not showing up. That's odd. But anyways, yeah, Westfall was 
great player this season 20 points a game five assists three rebounds two and a half steals so defensively he was a two-way star played all 82 games that season and he kept up that play in the playoffs um gar heard garfield heard is a forgotten name but he was as solid a power forward as you're maybe ever going to get 12 points 10 rebounds uh one and a half steals one block so he's filling in a lot of gaps he's you know being an inside presence alvin adams uh, undersized center, six nine, um, competitive against a uh, Dave Cowens. You know, nineteen points, nine rebounds, one and a half steals, one and a half blocks, and five and a half assists. One of the better passing centers we've had, um, and he could score inside. He had defensive versatility. He was a great underrated uh, star for the Suns team. Curtis Perry was the power. Uh, was you know they played kind of a bigger lineup that you really wouldn't see in today's NBA really playing two power forwards and Curtis Perry was the other one alongside and <clears throat> Gar heard um, playing, you know, he had 13 points a game, nine and a half rebounds. So they just really controlled the glass, not three players averaging nine or more rebounds. And that was a big part of their success. And then Dick Van Arsdale, who was, um, you know, kind of in the middle towards the end ish of his playing career, his nickname is the original son. He was one of the first uh, expansion draft picks, you know, from he was originally with the New York Knicks and he's actually he had a twin brother, Tom Van Arsdale. Both of them were all-star level players at this point in his career. He had started to see a, a drop in play, you know, averaging 13 points a game, two and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, but he was still a productive player and um, you know, a big part of their equation off the bench. They had, some okay depth. They had Keith Erickson, who was a part of those uh, Lakers teams in the early 70s that were so competitive. Ricky Sobers, uh, who was a decent kind of combo guard himself. Dennis Autry, uh, journeyman center. He was solid. Pat Riley as well. Um, again, he was part of those Lakers teams that won the title in 72. Um, before his coaching career, he was in kind of his twilight with the Suns as well. So they had great depth. They had a great lineup. Again, it was an older lineup. You know, crashing the glass, playing with size, playing with physicality, um, but they made it work. And again, they had a great, you know, playoff run and a fantastic playoff series. Um, in that series, they had maybe what many people have called the greatest game in uh, the greatest game ever played. You know, and it's it gets that name. It's it's kind of similar. It makes me think of the with the NFL, um, the. Oh, it was a late fifties or maybe early sixties NFL championship game before they had the Super Bowl, where the Baltimore Colts won against the New York Giants. And it's a game that, you know, your modern NFL fan probably is not familiar with, doesn't know, you know, maybe even a player in that game, like a Johnny Unitas, but that's a game that has continued to carry a name, you know, a nickname for that game, the greatest game ever played. And even if you look at basketball reference for this page, 1976 NBA Finals Game 5, there's a note that says the greatest game ever played. And it kind of fits that mold of, you know, just before the sports, you know, real popular history, it's one of those legacy type of games in which it was a triple overtime game. The Celtics won that game 128 to 126 at home. Um but it was triple overtime and 
you know, we've just barely implemented our intro music, but we picked five plays um, that are iconic moments in NBA history. A lot of them game winning type plays. And one of them is a play from this very game. And we talked about it very briefly on the Monday show with Wyatt. Um, the Gar Herd turnaround shot after the Celtics thought they'd won it and the fans stormed the court and they had to, you know, get everyone back off the court. Gar Herd hits a turnaround shot to tie the game again and force um, a double overtime, I think. It was either to go to double overtime or to go to triple overtime. And it was a fantastic game, again, from both teams, but Celtics, Celtics come out on top. But the Suns were competitive in that whole series. You know, you look at the lineup for that game in particular, all five guys had double figures. Four of the five had 20 or more points. You know, Westfall and Sobers actually started a lot of games. You know, those two were had 25 each. Curtis Perry and Gar Hurd each had 12 or more rebounds. Uh, Hurd had four blocks. Alvin Adams had three blocks. Um, it was a great team, you know, and they just get forgotten because they didn't win a championship because their era was a, an era of of parody. No dynasties in the 70s. No, um, they had competition with the ABA at the time. So that was maybe a detractor. Um you know, the NBA didn't have um, quite yet a Magic Johnson, a Larry Bird, you know, later on a Michael Jordan. And so they just forget, they just get forgotten, kind of a shame, but we have our time here to to put our emphasis on that team to outline what they're able to do. And uh, that was a phenomenal team in Phoenix Suns history and NBA history in general. So that's uh, the 1976 Phoenix Suns. Finally, we're going to talk about our uh, noteworthy and or legendary player from the franchise history. And we're going to go with the guy that has um, the most win shares, according to basketball reference of any Phoenix sun. And that is none other than, than Sean Marion, uh, otherwise affectionately known as the matrix. Um, and that might be odd, right? You might think, Oh, Steve Nash, might have the most win shares, maybe Kevin Johnson. He was there for a long time, Walter Davis. But no, it was Sean Marion who has the most win shares in Phoenix Suns history. Um, and it's a credit to his kind of underrated career. You know, he's drafted at the tail end of the 90s, 99. Um, and he was a four time All Star in Phoenix. In his best seasons, he was averaging uh, a little more than 20 points a game. Uh, just about 10, close to 11 rebounds per game, uh, a couple assists, but defensively it was where he was really a standout. Uh, you know, a couple steals a game and one or two blocks per game as well. Great percentages too. I mean, the three-point percentage was decent, for his, especially for his era, um, but he was a great all-around player, you know. And then after the Phoenix stretch, he had kind of a journeyman era. Uh, went to Miami, Toronto, and then went to Dallas where he had his kind of second career as a solid starter and a championship contributor. He was on that 2011 championship Dallas Mavericks team, uh, retired in 2015 uh, after playing on that finals team with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so he was a great player. Again, uh, he was a two-time All-NBA player. Uh, of course, he was on his all-rookie team. He was a 2011 champion. Um, a lot of people know Sean Marion, 
nowadays for his interesting shooting form. You know, that's kind of what I joke around with sometimes as far as, you know, you're at the gym shooting around. And it's like, oh, yeah, shoot like this player, like this player. It's like, oh, let's shoot like Sean Marion. And if you haven't seen it before, definitely look it up. It's certainly interesting. I marvel at how he's able to do it. He essentially shoots with his hand placement like you would have a normal jump shot, but the ball is at his waist and he flicks it from his waist. Not a super high arcing shot, but again, he was not a bad shooter. He was a fairly decent shooter. And I marvel at how he's able to do that. Again, look it up if you haven't seen his jump shot. And that's what people ought to know a lot of people know him for nowadays, but people forget how great a player he was. He was a great college player. Um, you know, he was um played for UNLV. Actually, before that, he was a player at a junior college level in Indiana. Um, but then played this junior season at UNLV, uh standout college player. Um can initially considered playing a senior season, but then figured out that he was you know, well thought of by NBA, you know, scouts and figured he should probably declare for the draft. And since then, you know, he had a great pro career. He also played on the national team in the 2004 Olympics, uh, bronze medal team. Um, you know, the Phoenix Suns uh, or the Phoenix team that won the shooting stars competition. He was a member of that as well. Um, and that was the 2005 season. Curious, actually, now that that is listed and what uh, what the team around him was. So Sean Marion, Diana Taurasi, and Dan Marley. That was kind of a this is a side note, but that was kind of a fun competition. The Shooting Stars competition. Basically, you had a current NBA player, a current WNBA player, and a uh, legend player from you know all of those from typically the same city. And you know, so for Phoenix, you know. Marion of the Suns, Diana Taurasi of the Mercury, and Dan Marley, again, a Suns legend. So that's a side note. But yeah, fun note there. He's able to win that, but he was a great pro, um, you know, really great all-around player, um, especially defensively, though. And, um, you know, he kind of gets forgotten at times. And again, he gets recognized more for his interesting jump shot. And I feel like we should credit the career he had versus just, you know, the the jump shot or whatever. Um, just some fun side notes as far as what he's up to outside of his playing career. Um, in 2017, he teamed up with another former Phoenix Suns, uh, Phoenix Sun, Cedric Sabalos, and they competed in season 30 of The Amazing Race. So that's a pretty cool thing. But then also in 2018, uh, he partnered with uh, former NBA player Matt Walsh and to become majority shareholders of the New Zealand breakers of the NBL in Australia. So that's a cool note. Um, I was kind of surprised, you know, looking into what else to talk about with Sean Marion, there's not a whole else, whole lot else outside of his NBA career. Um, In his high school career, he played alongside another future NBA player, Trenton Hassel. Um, He was a McDonald's all American, great high school career. Um, and again, he was one of the, you know, best players in Suns history. Even though the numbers aren't always, I mean, twenty and ten is very solid, but you know, it's not always the most glamorous. He was glamorous, glamorous. Ugh, fumbling, fumbling over my words. He was glamorous early with his in-game dunks. Um, you know, he had, uh, he still had great verticality even, you know, into 
you know, first half of his career, he was, you know, pretty athletic, still could get some dunks. But outside of that, he wasn't really a exciting player individually. You know, on those Suns teams, you're more likely to be excited about Amari Stoudemire, uh, Steve Nash, uh, guys like that. But yeah, he's a great player, you know, and um, we'll probably end it there. I mean, I don't have, I, I don't want to belabor the point, you know, great player gets kind of forgotten. One of the greatest players in Phoenix Suns history. And uh, we'll leave it at that. With that, that takes care of uh, most of our show. Again, a little bit of a longer show than kind of I anticipated, but uh, I think still a good show all around. Let's go ahead and wrap things up with our This Day in History fact for you. Uh, So this day in history, we're going back to 1979, uh, a little while back, uh, March 30th of 1979. Robert Parrish of Golden State became the first warrior in 10 years, uh, the first since Nate Thurmond to get at least 30 points and 30 rebounds in a game. Parrish scored 30 points and hauled down 32 boards as the host Warriors defeated New York Knicks 114 to 98. Um, This I add, um, firstly, phenomenal stats. And we forget how great Robert Parrish was in his own right, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, But this is maybe a teaser for our Golden State Warriors franchise focus because there's a time in Warriors history where they were post-championship, 1975 championship, and they had a bright future. And as many Warriors fans know, true diehard, longtime Warriors fans know, there was an era from, you know, sometime after the 75 championship till truly the Steph Curry years that the Warriors were in a, you know, the depths of mismanagement, poor decisions, bad luck, any and all of the above. And there was a time post-championship, there was a team and a stretch of, you know, a few seasons where they had every ability to continue to be successful, continue to be a respectable franchise, you know, not that they were ever a a disrespectful franchise, you know, that, you know, that's maybe a bit harsh, but every chance to be, you know, maintaining consistent competitiveness, continually being playoff caliber. And that chance was not ever fulfilled in that regard at that time. But again, that's maybe just a conversation for another time for now, the chief, one of the underrated centers in NBA history, great statistical statistical game, 30 points, 32 boards. That's phenomenal by any standards. That's, you know, Wilt Chamberlain esque, you know, I mean, he did that for seasons as a whole, but still great game for Robert Parrish with that. We'll go ahead and wrap things up before we ramble on even longer, but uh, we want to thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want to check out the Instagram page, that's crossover across time, all one word on Instagram. Uh, We share content from the show along with doing our best to share content from across the NBA. So it's a great place along with the podcast itself to stay up to date on what's going on in the NBA at the moment. For tomorrow's show, it'll be a lot shorter. We'll have our game summaries from tonight's two games. So that'll be pretty quick. We'll have the latest news and then we'll give you some game previews uh, going into the weekend, but a last announcement, we are in the works uh, early conversations about doing a Saturday podcast because as you might note by the uh, episode number here, 
we're coming up very soon on our 100th podcast episode. And so Justin and I have been talking about uh, getting wide on board and doing something uh, a little different, doing a little celebration of our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. If that happens, that'll be on Saturday and tomorrow we'll hopefully have some more concrete details on that. But for now, we just want to thank you again for listening and we'll be back with you on tomorrow's show. Thanks again. Thanks again.